can trust you. Uh, that no matter what we see or face or experience in this life, that you can be trusted, God. We don't always see the plan. We don't always see the way it works. We don't always see why things happen the way they do. But God, we trust. Because sometimes we have nothing else. And so God, we thank you that we can gather in this room. We thank you that we can sing to you and, and cry out to you and speak to you and hear from you. God, those are all gifts. Those are all privileges. And God, may we never take them for granted. So God, thank you that we can be in this place together this morning. Thank you for what it is you're going to teach us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Um, right now, we are in the middle of this series called Life Apps, where we are taking some of the virtues, some of the lessons, some of the things that the Bible teaches us in talking about how we make them part of who we are, how we live out these things that are written on the page, how we make them part of our everyday behavior, how we make them part of our personality, how we make them part of how we interact with the world around us. And, you know, it's important that we talk about this because, let's be honest, sometimes application is difficult, isn't it? Applying something to your life can be a challenge, can it? Uh, let me give you an example. How many of you have ever bought a piece of exercise equipment? All right, good. Some of you know exactly where I'm going with this. How many of you have ever signed up for a gym membership? Excellent. Good. All right. You guys know exactly where we're going with this. All right. Application is important, right? Now you can buy that piece of exercise equipment. And in that moment, when you make that purchase, let's be honest, you feel a little bit healthier, don't you? I mean, just a little bit. And in that moment, when you sign that dotted line for that gym membership, man, I feel a little bit healthier right now, right? But are you actually healthier in that moment? You've made a plan, you've made some decisions, you've done some things to put you in a place to be healthier, but have you actually become a healthier person yet? No, you actually have to get on the machine. You have to get on that treadmill. You have to get on that elliptical. You have to go to the gym. You have to work out. That's what makes you healthier. Because af application makes all the difference. I kid you not, there is an elliptical machine sitting in my office right now that somebody gave me a couple of years ago. Now, that elliptical machine, every time I look at it, I feel great about myself. <laughs> I feel great about myself. And it's a great conversation starter, and it's great for hanging things on, and it's got a lot of really good purposes, but it doesn't actually work until I get on the machine and use it, right? Because application makes all the difference. In many ways, we treat our faith, we treat our spirituality, we treat our life here at church in the same way. We as American Christians are really good at patting ourselves on the back when we show up on time for church. And when we sing all the songs, and if there's one song that I really love, I sing that one a little extra loud, and I feel pretty good about myself. 
And then we sit and we listen to sermons and we think, wow, that was really good. I should think about that or I should try that or I should read my Bible. But at the end of the day, have you honestly become any more spiritual than when you showed up here this morning? Not necessarily because application is what makes all the difference. Until we make it part of who we are, until we start acting this stuff out in our everyday lives, it becomes difficult for us to say that God is changing us and using us and and making a difference through us. So we have to take the words on the page and make them part of our lives. Because application is what makes all the difference. And so we've spent these last few weeks talking about application. We've talked about how we apply different things that the Bible teaches. Pastor Ron talked to you about applying the Freedom app a few weeks ago. And I had the opportunity to talk to you about applying forgiveness to our lives. And we talked about how we apply confession and healing to our lives. And last week, Pastor Ron talked to you about applying rest to our lives. Because we believe that these are all very biblical things. They're in there. If you read your Bible, you will see these things talked about. But it's one thing to sit down and read your Bible. It's another thing to act them out. And so that's why we feel like this is so important. That's why we feel like we have to spend this time talking about it. Because application is what makes all the difference. Today, we want to continue talking about that by talking about applying trust to our lives. Applying trust to our lives. Trust can be a very tricky thing, can it? Trust can be something that we oftentimes misunderstand in our lives and, in exact, and how we actually apply that and make that part of who we are. But if we're honest about it, trust is the foundation of any healthy relationship, isn't it? I will never, ever fully engage with you relationally unless I trust you. I will not open up to you. I will not tell you anything deep and personal about me unless I trust you. And that's a two-way street, isn't it? You're not going to tell me anything about yourself unless you trust me. We're never going to fully open up with each other unless we trust each other. And so trust is the foundation that we build a healthy relationship off of. And so that's why it's important that we talk about this idea of applying trust to our lives. There are a couple things that make it hard, make it difficult for us to apply trust. There's actually a lot of things that make it difficult for us to apply trust in our lives. But two specific things. Two things that make it a challenge for us to apply trust are what we see and who we are. What we see and who we are. What we see. It makes it difficult for us to apply trust because sometimes, just sometimes, people don't live up to their expectations, do they? People don't follow through on their promises. And when we see that time and time and time again in our lives, it becomes a challenge for us to trust somebody. The other challenge for us is that we have to, sometimes the challenge is who we are. Every single one of us in this room this morning has a story, has a history, has something that's happened to us in our lives. And because of that, it's formed a little bit of our personality. It's formed who we are. And because of who we are, sometimes we shut ourselves down and we don't allow ourselves to trust other people. And so that's what I want us to talk about this morning. When we talk about trust today, we're going to primarily talk about it in terms of our relationships with other people. There's obviously a huge aspect of trust that goes into our faith 
and into our relationship with God because of what he's done through Jesus. That is a huge part of our faith, obviously. But this morning, I want us to primarily talk about our relationships with other people and how we apply trust to, to those relationships. To help, us, to help us this morning, I want us to look at a number of different scriptures, but um, I want to look at mostly at the words of Paul from the New Testament. I believe the Bible gives us tons of examples of how it is that we can apply trust to our lives. And the Apostle Paul does a great job of teaching us a lot of those different ways. So this morning, I actually want us to start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible or on the, the YouVersion app that we use. You can follow along wherever you'd like. But we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is a very famous chapter of the Bible. We call it the love chapter, right? And if you've been to a wedding in the last 50 years, you've probably heard somebody read these verses at that wedding. And a lot of times we just take these verses and we say, well, those are wedding verses, and we just kind of skip over them and we just keep moving. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us this beautiful picture of what love is, this beautiful definition, this beautiful description of what love should look like. And we can use that description to help us understand trust, too. Because if we're honest with ourselves, love and trust go hand in hand, don't they? Love and trust work together. There's an intersection that happens between love and trust. If I love you, I'm going to trust you. If I trust you, there's a good chance I love you. And those things interact with each other every single day. And so understanding love gives us a better understanding of trust as well. And so let's look at these famous verses from 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. And as we work our way through them, let's talk a little bit about, about trust and where trust fits into this. Paul starts like this. He says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Those are all descriptions of a loving, trust-filled relationship, aren't they? Those are all think characteristics of what a trusting relationship looks like he goes on he says it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered and this is important it keeps no record of wrongs it keeps no record of wrongs let's stop there for a second because i know that some of you have a mental file cabinet in your brain that has a record of wrongs in it when you start arguing with your spouse, in that your spouse brings up something, you can go, wait a second, blah, 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 June 12th, 2006. Do you remember that day when you didn't put your cereal bowl back in the sink like I told you? I mean, we can keep a record of wrongs. We have those mental file cabinets, but a loving, trust-filled relationship keeps no record of wrongs. Man, what a challenge that is, right? to throw out that mental file cabinet, to understand that if I love somebody, I don't keep a scorecard. I don't keep a, a book somewhere in my, in my desk or in my brain or wherever that keeps track of who's winning and who's losing. That's not what love is. Paul goes on, and then he starts talking about how this idea of love and trust intersect. He says this, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So, what Paul is basically saying is, love doesn't hide around the corner 
waiting to mess up so that you can jump out and say, aha, I knew you were going to do that. That's not what love does. Love doesn't wait for the other person to do something wrong. Love celebrates when the other person does something right. That's what a loving, trust-filled relationship looks like. And then Paul finishes by making four very simple statements that give us a really good picture of what love and trust look like. He says this, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Paul keeps using that word always. It's kind of annoying, isn't it? I mean, always, Paul. Love always hopes, even when I'm mad at the other person. Love always trusts. Love always perseveres. Yes, that's what a loving, trust-filled relationship looks like. That no matter the circumstances, no matter what's happened, we don't give up. That love and trust build this bond that can't be broken. And so when you read these verses, I saw these statements this week that I thought went really well with, with, that describe these verses. If you look at these verses, basically what you see is this, is that love actually bends, doesn't it? Love moves and sways and molds. Love isn't stuck in concrete saying, this is the only way I'm going to love you when you do exactly what I want you to do, exactly when I want you to do it. That's not how love works, does it? Love bends and moves to make room for grace and compassion and human error and all of the different factors that come into this life. So love moves and love bends. And I saw these statements this week that I think are going to help us as we talk about this idea of trust. If love bends, then love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. There's always going to be a discrepancy between what somebody says they're going to do and what they actually do. Love gives the person the benefit of the doubt. Love also, <clears throat> love also looks for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. That's not fun. Because when we are mad at somebody, we're not looking for the most generous explanation, are we? We're looking for a confession. We're looking for a confession of guilt. We're looking for them to say, this is what I've done wrong. This is Love looks for the most generous explanation of somebody else's behavior. And then here's the key one that we're going to really hit on today, is that love chooses trust over suspicion. Love chooses trust over suspicion. If we truly love somebody... We are going to choose to trust them over choosing to be suspicious of them. That's what builds a loving, trust-filled relationship. So how do we do this? How do we live this out? How do we take this idea of trust and make it part of who we are? Let's talk about it this morning. Let's talk about some ways in which we can apply trust to our lives. Um, and if love bends and doesn't get stuck, then it, it, this becomes part of trust as well. So let's talk about this. Applying trust. Applying trust means a couple of things. First thing, applying trust means choosing to trust. Applying trust, trust means choosing to trust. I'm not saying this is always the situation in every single relationship that you are in in your life, but for the most part, 
for the most part, for the vast majority of the relationships that you have in your life, you have to choose whether or not you trust that other person, don't you? You have to choose whether or not you trust the stuff that's around you in your life. You have to choose whether you're going to trust that person to do what they say they're going to do. That's your choice. You have to choose whether or not you're going to put your trust in that airplane that you sit in that is actually going to get off the ground and fly you to the destination that it's supposed to take you. You have to choose to trust that the seat that you're sitting in right now isn't going to crumble underneath the weight of your body. And so we have a choice to make. You could stand up the whole service if you wanted to, if you really didn't trust that, if you really didn't trust that chair. You could walk or take a car or ride a bike to your destination if you didn't trust an airplane. You could choose to isolate yourself in your life if you choose not to trust other people. But it's a choice that we make. We choose whether or not we trust other people. And choosing to trust actually starts with the decision uh, that we have to make whether or not we choose to trust God. Because if we choose to trust God, then God helps us and enables us and equips us to trust other people as well. But that's where all of this begins. That's the foundation of this, is that do we trust God? Do we trust that God is who he says he is, even in the most dire of circumstances? Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, writes this in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. These are famous verses that we've all probably heard a thousand times, but here's what he says. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. These verses remind us that when we trust God, he makes it easier for us to trust other people. That if we choose to trust God and his plan and his will, then he is going to put us in situations that allow us to trust other people as well. That doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect and neat and tidy. That doesn't mean people aren't going to mess up and make mistakes. But it means God is going to put us in a place where we are able to trust him and others more. This verse reminds us of that, right? He says at the end that he makes your paths straight. That he puts you on a path that leads to a better life. But it all begins on with whether or not we choose to trust him. Now I know that many of you in this room, have you've made that decision. You trust God. You trust that God is who he says he is. You trust that God loves you because of what Jesus did for us on the cross by offering himself as a sacrifice for us. You believe all of that. You trust that. Some of you may not. Some of you may wonder about that. Man, we would love to talk to you more about what it looks like to, be, to have that kind of trust in God. But can we trust God no matter what the circumstances Can we trust God no matter what is going on in the world around us? Uh, Pastor Ron shared with you this morning about a a tragedy. We we love Delaney. We've known Delaney for years. Delaney was a big part of our youth ministry here. And listen, that doesn't make sense. Right? That doesn't make sense. There's no logical explanation for that. We can't come up with something that makes sense in a situation like that. We can't do it. And so we have a choice to make, don't we? We have to choose whether or not we trust that God is still God 
and God is still good no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in in this life. And every day we make that choice. We make that choice whether we trust God. And whenever we make that choice whether we trust God, God then enables us to be able to trust others. But that's a choice that we make to, to, to trust. And so applying forgiveness means choosing to trust. The second thing is that applying forgiveness means being able to identify your relationship gaps. Being able to identify your relationship gaps. Here's what I mean by that. In every relationship that you have in your life, there are cracks and there are gaps that are formed between what you expected somebody to do and what they actually did. It doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship you find yourself in. There are always going to be these small cracks and gaps in that relationship. And we need to be able to identify what those gaps are and what we can do about them because that's really important. Like I said, it doesn't matter what the context. At home, you and your spouse could be having an argument over your budget. Hey, you, I told you not to spend that money on that. Why would, why would you buy that when we talked about that? A crack is formed. A gap is formed. At work, when your coworker doesn't meet a deadline, and now all of a sudden your coworker has put you and them in a bad situation, a crack is formed. A gap is formed in that relationship. With your friends, with the people that you care about, all of a sudden maybe you're getting suspicious of them. You're thinking, well, I think maybe they're talking behind my back. They're saying stuff about me. And when that happens, cracks form and gaps form in those relationships. Even in our country, in my lifetime, I have never seen our country so divided when it comes to politics, when it comes to policies, when it comes to Congress, when it comes to the president, when it comes to whatever, name it. But we as a people in this country are building cracks and gaps in relationships with people that don't think the same things that we think. And what we do with those gaps is important. How we handle those cracks makes a difference. Because we all have them. In the book of Ephesians, uh, the Apostle Paul says this in, ver in uh, chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And here's the key statement, ready? In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Then he goes on. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul gets it. Paul gets it. Paul understands that in your relationships, there are going to be cracks, and there are going to be gaps, and you are going to get frustrated, and you're going to get mad, and you're going to get angry. And Paul even says it, and I believe this, that many times anger is not a sin. It's what we do with that anger. It's how we act because we're angry that determines whether or not we sin. And so Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Because Paul understands, Paul knows that we are the ones that have the decision to make of what we're going to fill those relationship gaps with. 
See, many times we feel like the other person is the one that's deciding what goes in those relationship gaps. Well, they're the ones that didn't follow through. They're the ones that didn't make the right decision. And because of what they've done, they've created the gap, and now they're filling it with all this negativity. They're filling it with all this anger and frustration. But at the end of the day, you and I are the ones that decide what we fill those relationship gaps with. We have a decision to make. And Paul tells us, in our anger, do not sin. Do not let our anger get the best of us. That, that brings us back to the idea of, of love bending. If you go back to those statements, right? If there's a relationship crack, if there's a relationship gap between me and another person, and if love bends, then love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. When there's a gap in my relationship, I'm still going to give that other person the benefit of the doubt. When there's a gap in my relationship with somebody else, I'm still going to look for the most generous explanation from that person regarding their behavior. And when there's a gap in my relationship with somebody else, I'm still going to try to choose trust over suspicion. That's what we can do to fill those relationship gaps. Not fill them with more frustration and more pain and more anger, but fill them with things that give the benefit of the doubt. Fill them with love. Fill them with trust. And I get that that's hard. I get that that's difficult. But it's worth it. If we choose to fill our relationship gaps with something that's negative, if we choose to undermine the relationship because we want to be negative, that is a no-win situation. Nobody wins there. I, I coach high school baseball, and I work with, I work with infielders, all right? And so every day at practice, we take ground balls. And every day at practice, we work on plays, and we work on throws, and we work on different situations that are going to come up during the game. And of course, all of those situations always happen in the game. And of course, when you're dealing with 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, they always mess it up. The things that we do a thousand times in practice every day, one of them is going to do it wrong during the game. And sometimes I sit in that dugout and I can't wait for that inning to end and for that kid to get back in front of me so I can just rip him apart, right? And I can tell him, we do this a thousand times every day. How are you still screwing this up? That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do every single day. But I have a choice to make, don't I? And when that inning ends, and I watch that infielder walk back to the dugout, and I can see him looking at me, and I can see his head drop, and he takes those two steps into the dugout, I don't need to say much of anything, do I? That kid already knows what he's done wrong. That kid knows that we work on that same play a thousand times every single day. And me, wanting to get out my anger, wanting to get out my frustration, because he makes me look bad, or he makes the team look bad, or something like that, me wanting to rip into him for that does no good, does it? Listen, I grew up playing baseball. I grew up with coaches that love to rip you apart when you made a mistake. Some of you grew up playing sports where you had coaches that just love to lay into you. Did that make you play better? Did that make you perform at a higher level? 
maybe, I don't know, it didn't work for me. So what I have to learn to do is in those situations is to pull that kid aside and encourage him. And to say, hey, I know you know that you made a mistake right there. You know that you did something wrong. What are we going to do different the next time? I'm going to give that kid the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to look for the most generous explanation. Uh, Coach, I don't know, I just kind of freaked out and just threw it to the wrong base or did whatever. It's like, you know, I'm going to look for the most generous explanation. I'm going to choose trust over suspicion. And that's the same way it works in our relationships as well. When we're angry, when we're frustrated, we make the decision as to what we put in those relationship gaps. And that's super important. And so applying trust means being willing to identify and fill relationship gaps with the positive and not the negative. So on paper, all of this stuff so far sounds easy, doesn't it? On paper, this makes sense. On paper, you could walk out of here and 30 minutes later fix all of your relationships, right? But what happens? What happens when you are in a relationship with somebody and you simply cannot trust them anymore? It's impossible to trust them. You've tried everything. They've hurt you so bad so many times. They've done so many things that have caused damage to you and to your loved ones and to your family and to the people around you, and you can't trust them anymore. How do we apply trust in that kind of situation? And here's the last thing I want us to talk about, is that if we are going to apply trust, applying trust means that if we can't trust somebody, we must confront them. If we can't trust somebody, we must confront them. I see some of you packing your stuff up and walking out the door right now, because confrontation sounds awful, doesn't it? We hate confrontation. There are a few sick members in this room that like to confront other people. But for the, most of us, for the most of us, we just can't stand confrontation. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to do it. It's, it's just like the worst thing you could possibly think of, confronting somebody when they've done something wrong to you. And yet, God asks us to confront others. But God asks us to do it in a very specific way. And so that's what we need to talk about for a little bit this morning, is if we can't trust somebody, we must confront somebody. And like I said, we're not good at this, are we? Listen, we aren't good at going and talking to the person, but we're really good at talking about the person, aren't we? We're not good at approaching the person who's hurt us, but we're really good about talking to other people about that person that's hurt us. That's easier. That's more enjoyable. Doesn't mean it's right. You see, we would rather, many, many of us, and this is wrong, I know, but many of us would rather sit and stew and gossip about the other person. And when we do that, all we do is create more suspicion and create less trust and create more gaps and more cracks in that relationship. And our relationships get worse and worse and worse. So we must be willing to lovingly confront other people. Again, the Apostle Paul talks about this in the New Testament. In the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul talks about this idea of confrontation. He says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, 
or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul gives us a lot of really good instruction in these verses, doesn't he? A lot of really good things that we can hold on to. A lot of really good things that we can apply to our everyday lives. He starts off and he says, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. But not just restore that person. Restore that person how? Gently. When somebody has hurt us, what do we want to do? We want to run in the room, drop a grenade, make as much damage as humanly possible, and get out, right? Because that person's hurt me, and so now I want to hurt them. But Paul says, no, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That word restore that Paul uses right there, it's a Greek word. That Greek word is also the word that they used for the, for the word they would use to reset a bone. That same word, that restoration, to restore, is the same word as to reset, reset a bone. I've never had a bone reset. I can only imagine how painful it is. I know some of you have probably had your nose reset after you've broken it, or maybe an arm that was reset after you broke it. That procedure has got to be an incredibly painful procedure. But it's a necessary procedure, isn't it? If you want your nose to be straight again, if you want your arm to be able to work and move and function and bend the way that it's supposed to, you have to be willing to allow a doctor to reset it, to restore it, to make it whole again. The same is true in our relationships. Confrontation is awful. We hate it. I get that. But sometimes confrontation is necessary. If we want to be made whole again, if we want to see restoration, if we want to see things get back to the way they're supposed to be, sometimes we have to walk through a very painful experience. And that painful experience won't last forever. But that painful experience will bring restoration. Will bring a sense of wholeness back to that relationship. Paul goes on and he says, um, he says that we should be careful because if we're, we might fall into the same temptation. Because let's be honest, sometimes when you're mad at somebody and you sit and stew and, and just think about it for too long, um, some of us tend, what's the word I want to use here? Some of us tend to over-communicate when we finally confront that person. Some of you are very good over-communicators because you've let it sit for so long and you've become so angry that when you finally get your moment to confront that person, you explode. And when you over-communicate, you're not fixing anything. You're not restoring gently, are you? You're probably causing more damage than, more, than good. And so we need to be willing to restore gently. And then Paul tells us, you've got to watch yourself because you might end up in the same situation. And then he says in verse 2, he says, you want to know what a loving, trust-filled relationship looks like? Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. When that person that you're struggling with is, is hurting... Take some of the weight off of their shoulders. And you know what Paul says? He says, when you do this, you actually fulfill the law of Christ. Because that is what Christ did for us, didn't he? 
He took our sin. He took our shame. He took all of that burden that we carry. He took it off of our shoulders and he put it on himself. And he gave himself as a sacrifice for us. And that's the model that we have to follow. That's the picture that we have to follow. Is that we would be willing to restore gently and carry each other's burdens. If we do these things with the right attitude and with the right heart and understanding that love bends so that when I confront somebody, I do it with the benefit of the doubt in mind, that if I confront somebody, I do it looking for the most generous explanation. Have you ever confronted somebody and then in the middle of that conversation you said something like, oh, I didn't know that's how you felt. Or, oh, I didn't understand that that's why that happened. That happens, doesn't it? Because we've, maybe we don't always think about all of the necessary things we should be thinking about. And we let our anger get the best of us. And so if we look to give the other person the benefit of the doubt, if we look to um, look for the most generous explanation, and if we choose trust over suspicion, I'm not saying that every single relationship that you have will be fixed. Because I understand that there are some relationships that may never be fixed in this lifetime. I see that. I understand that. But I believe that if we're willing to live out these things with the right heart and the right attitude, that there can be at least hope for any relationship. That there can be hope that maybe I can start taking some steps. Maybe I can start applying this to my life. And so how do we do this? How do we apply trust? We have to choose to trust. We have to choose to trust God. And when we choose to trust God, God helps us to be able to trust other people. We have to choose to identify those relationship gaps and fill them with something that is positive. Understanding that love bends and moves with grace and compassion. And we have to choose. If we're going to apply trust, that means we have to be able to be willing to confront whenever we can't trust somebody else. And again, I believe that if we can do these things, there is hope. But we have to be willing to do them. We can't just read them on a page and nod our heads and say, yeah, that sounds good. We have to be willing to stand up, walk out of this room, and do something about it. Because application is what makes all the difference. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word challenges us. I thank you that your word makes us uncomfortable sometimes. It makes us think about things differently. God, move in our hearts this week. God, there are people in our lives that we just simply do not trust. That trust has been broken. God, may you give us opportunities to help to begin to repair that trust, to begin to, re to fill in those gaps and cracks in those relationships. God, may you work and move in ways in our lives so that we can make a difference in the lives of others. And God, may we start by trusting you and understanding that you are good and that you love us and that you care about us and that you want to see what's best for us. God, may we trust you this week and in turn, may we be willing to trust others as well. In your name we pray. Amen.